and welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a very special guest with us today, Dennis Mullen, who is chairman of SPS Corp and a longtime business leader in Manhattan. Dennis, welcome to the Think MHK podcast. Thank you, Jason. So before we get started on the company and, and the history of the company in Manhattan and, and some of the things that you all are doing, talk a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in Manhattan and, and working with uh, SPS. I grew up in the Overland Park area. I uh, went to Pittsburgh State University, and it was during the uh, Vietnam era, and I had taken ROTC so I could stay in college. And then once I graduated, I obviously had a commitment. And my final duty assignment was Fort Riley, Kansas. And I liked it because it was close to home, but uh, uh, never had any anticipation of staying. And, but honestly, uh, my wife and I just fell in love with Manhattan. That brought me here. I looked for a temporary job and while I was planning to go to law school, go back to law school, and, and ran into one of the subsidiaries of Steel and Pipe at that time. Worked for them for a short time, and I never went to law school. So here I am. It's it's interesting because we hear all the time about people who are stationed at Fort Riley and end up staying in Manhattan. I don't think I ever knew that you were one of those people. I am. What attracted you to Manhattan in terms of living here? Uh, really, the Fort people. Riley? I mean, everyone says the same thing, but it was just the environment, uh, uh, opportunities for my kids when they grew up. You know, the Parks and Rec was uh, uh, an excellent program. And when you live in a big city, uh, those that are involved in athletic events are really the cream of the crop because they can't handle the numbers if they went. And here in a smaller town, you know, uh, my daughters who weren't very athletic had that opportunity to meet friends and to be out on the field, learn uh, sports and enjoy uh, teamwork. And it, it really was a draw to us. And of course, SPS is the parent company of Steel and Pipe. And it you is. mentioned a minute ago, and that's how most people recognize your company is steel and pipe. When did that change take place where the, the SPS became? That? We did that about uh, five or six years ago. Uh, you know, as we started acquiring companies, it, it just made sense that we have a holding company. And that's what SPS Companies Inc. is, is a holding company. Uh, steel and pipe is one of our businesses. I think we have 13 other businesses that uh, underneath that umbrella today. So SPS was selected as the Chamber's Cornerstone Award winner this year at our Business Awards, which is our version of lifetime achievement uh, in, in business in Manhattan. So what did winning that award mean to you and, and to the company? First of all, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. Well, that. I would take credit, but I didn't vote on that. Yeah, and so yeah. we just we just present the award. We have a committee that votes on that, but it was certainly well-deserved. Steel and Pipe has been active in the community for a long time, but it, it it's kind of the hidden gem uh, of Manhattan. Most people don't know it. It's not a recognizable name. We don't have any customers in Manhattan, Kansas. I don't think a single one. Um, and so it's not something that uh, the average John Doe knows. And, and our people have been active. So uh, to receive that honor and recognition is really about our people. You know, then the many hours that they have put in dedicating uh, to many social services around the community. And it's a compliment to them. And it's uh, really for them. It's not for us. Um, it, advertising it gets us a zero advantage. Uh, but it certainly is a great opportunity for our people to get a pat on the back for what they do. Yeah. And of course, SPS, Steel and Pipe have just been instrumental in the in the history of 
the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce, and I believe the only business that's had three former chairs. And, and we're going to talk about, of course, Mr. Goldstein in a minute, but you and then Matt Crocker. And so uh, I can't think of a, a business that would be more deserving of that award from the standpoint of engagement with the chamber. Thank you. Um, you all have a very interesting history. So as we were presenting the award, I was putting together some some uh, some of the script for the business awards and, and got a chance to read about how SPS came to Manhattan. Uh, talk a little bit about that story and, and how um, you all ended up here. Well, it's a long story, so I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. But uh, uh, we're here by accident. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. Uh, uh, Jack uh, and Sam Goldstein, Sam being Jack's father, was living in Lincoln, Nebraska during the Depression. And we're on hard times. And he was looking for an opportunity to make enough money to uh, take care of his family and another family that was living with him. And uh, someone told him that uh, the hide and wool business was active and profitable. And in Kansas, it was more profitable than it was in Nebraska. And so he sold his only asset he had, which was a life insurance policy, bought a used car with it. I think it was $836 he got out of that life insurance policy and bought a used car and was headed to Hutchinson, Kansas, because he had looked at the map and decided Hutchinson was a central place uh, where he could uh, go out west and east and uh, pick up hide and wool and then get him off to Kansas City for uh, finishing and uh, his car broke down just north of Manhattan uh, at Casement Farm. Uh, so he had a double bonus. First of all, Mr. Casement uh, had a lot of sheep and filled his car full of wool, which was his first purchase uh, that he was able to make and then uh, uh, arranged for his car to be towed into Manhattan. And uh, he ran into uh, uh, Mr. Haynes, Bob Haynes's father, Joe, and uh, Joe said, well, I'll rent you facility to put that uh, sheep, or the wool in, at $15 a month. And uh, that's why we're here. And we've been here for ever since. That was in 1933. So literally, SPS is here because uh, Mr. Goldstein's car broke down. That is correct. That's a, that, that, Of all the years I've spent in economic development, that is probably the the most interesting uh, story about Sometimes how a company ended lucky, up in a community. So. <laughs> that is true. It's better to be lucky than good, particularly in this business. So Jack Goldstein took over f uh, for his father in 1954 and moved into scrap metal and new steel. And I guess the rest is history at this point. So what did Jack mean to SPS? And ultimately, what legacy does uh, Mr. Goldstein have on Manhattan? Two separate questions, obviously. And, uh, you know, Jack was... Uh, I wouldn't say that Jack was an entrepreneur, you know, I, I don't think that uh, he would call himself that even though most people in town would think of him as an entrepreneur because he was doing, but he was a great developer. He would take an idea and develop it to the next level. He really changed the industry as he came in and uh, what's called the steel service center industry as a, uh, what role a steel service center plays is buying a large quantity of steel from a mill that produces the steel. And most customers don't want to buy 10,000 pounds of a single item. So the service center works at, at uh, breaking those bundles down and then selling them to the customers in smaller quantities. Uh, it's a needed uh, uh, part of the uh, supply chain. Uh, but Jack, you know, he was innovative. In fact, his, uh, my first job at Steel & Pipe was to implement uh, their computer system. And I can remember two things. I can remember uh, the reason he got involved with that idea was the First National Bank at that time was thinking of putting in a computer system. And for those of you that uh, 
think of computers as your handheld phone today uh, was not exactly the reality back in, in the early 70s. Uh, it, it took a massive room to put a computer in that did as much as your phone does today. Uh, and very expensive. And did know. you have punch cards? Is that punch was that cards? Part of the deal and, too? Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. yeah I, I can't go back to the history of that because it's painful sometimes. <laughs> but you know, many people would say to me, "You know, what is Jack Bonney computer for?" He says, "You know, no large company. There wasn't a single company in town. I think K State had it. I don't think the city had computers at that time. I believe K State had one, and one of their bank had one. And uh, but he saw the future, you know, and." I started worrying about whether I was going to have a job. We we're going to go bankrupt uh, with all the other conversations I heard around around town. But uh, as we went through the ups and downs of the steel industry, it became very obvious his, his foresight in that area just put us leaps and bounds over our competition who were still making invoices manually and trying to do it. And when volume increased, they just couldn't handle the volume where, where Jack, because of Jack's foresight, uh, had a, he had many examples like that. You know, We got in the steel business, uh, really, uh, just to give you a view of how Jack looks. You know, As you mentioned, we were in the hide and wool business uh, before my time, but in hide and wool business, and Jack says, well, we're sending out empty trucks to western Kansas to pick up hide and wool and bring them back. Well, we need a commodity. You know, let's go out there and sell. And then we literally peddled steel. He would buy steel out of the Kansas City warehouse and their warehouses and put them on the load. And he'd stop at every welding shop and every small manufacturing. He says, you know, come out and look at my truck and see what I have and see if you can buy it. And then trying to peddle it off the truck with the purpose of fulfilling payloads both ways. And as that, uh, you know. Somebody would say, well, I don't need what you have here, but, you know, if you bring two by two by a quarter angle next week, I'll be glad to sell in. And that turned into really uh, where our growth came out of western Kansas. Uh, uh, the Kansas City warehouses didn't want us to grow, but uh, that was our heart in western Nebraska and western Kansas. So uh, talk about, again, Mr. Goldstein's legacy then on, on Manhattan, because obviously there's so many organizations in this community that have benefited greatly from, from the Goldstein Foundation and, and other, other things in Manhattan. Jack loved Manhattan, and he, uh, you know, he fought hard to make Manhattan a better place to live. He, uh, nothing made him happier than to be part of growth, part of the opportunity, and he did it silently. Uh, you know, I, in my early days, always... Uh, Felt sorry for him, I guess, in a way, because I think he he took a a, a negative or uh, criticism uh, often for being involved in such things as uh, you know he he'd get very frustrated with the slowness of city government and knowing where uh, they were going to expand and and Jack was a really big believer in the fact you couldn't grow without parking, you know if you're going to build retail you got to have parking there for for the places, you know. Um, it just drove him crazy to get on campus, you know, and to get involved in the art museum and McCain and not have parking right next door. It just, he didn't think it'd be successful. So in a lot of cases, Jack would go buy adjacent land because the city couldn't do it, or if they did it, they paid way too much for it. So he could go buy in the private market, turn around and sell it with no profit to him, to the city. Uh, and get that done where he could add parking. There's many parking lots in, in this town Jack initiated as part of development around there. Uh, he was a big advocate for uh, uh, the downtown mall. Uh, you know, He worried about the downtown mall going out by the airport and really losing the identity of downtown 
and uh, he believed that we just couldn't afford to lose that identity, uh, the facility that we're standing in now, and uh, Steel and Pipes offices are in. Uh, is uh, only here because of downtown mall. He he agreed to make a private investment to allow uh, uh, leverage for a $10 million grant out of the federal government. Uh, the city commissioners called him actually about 1130 at night and said, Jack, well, you know, we need some investment. Will you do that? He said, absolutely. You know, and he didn't even question it, didn't question whether it'd be successful or not successful. Uh, he says, uh, we're glad to commit to that. So that's the kind of man he was. Yeah, that's a lot of people don't know the history of downtown and that really downtown was saved by uh, Goldstein, Jack Goldstein and, and Steel and Pipe. So certainly a legacy uh, that that's something that you all can be proud of. So you became CEO in what year? I don't know. Oh, you don't remember? <laughs> what year? It's been a while. It's so been a while. How did the company grow from from the point that you went? You talked a little bit about how you started in the steel industry, but how did it, you grow to where you are now? I started with this company when we were doing $8 million in sales. Today, we're doing a, just underneath the $2 million in sales uh, in growth. And, and that's it, a little bit of growth. That's, it's, that's, it's that's come, a good percentage. It's come really in a variety of ways. Initially, it came from uh, what I call greenfield growth. You know, we would uh, look at our markets that we were doing and growing in our markets, and we'd draw concentric circles around uh, facilities uh, it really, we used to, and the only facility we had when I started with the company was here in Manhattan. But as we opened a facility in Kansas City, it became obvious that uh, we were overlapping too much of the territory between the two facilities. Is the reason we closed the one here and went to Kansas City. And we added St. Louis, we added Tulsa, we added Houston, Texas, and those growth. But uh, reality is when you do a greenfield operation, you're moving into new territories, trying to find new customers. You're trying to uh, find new employees to, to work at those facilities. Uh, it takes a while to make a profit. It took a while to generate it and build the, uh, a, a successful business in each location. So I, I decided uh, that uh, it would be a heck of a lot easier if we just went out and bought companies that already had a customer base, already had the facility, already had employees, and that we could then grow those companies uh, in that area. So uh, over the last couple of decades, that's what we've done. We've really focused on acquiring companies and, and helping them grow into being better operations. So if you described your company and your products what what would that in a in a two sentence description what would that be well you don't know me very well to put me into two sentences but it, it they're all steel related everything's steel related and uh, a variety of different steel uses and needs so throughout that growth you all made the decision to keep the headquarters in Manhattan cuz obviously if you're not you don't have operations in Manhattan you could easily have moved the headquarters to any of these other communities. Why did why did SPS make the decision, steel and pipe, and then SPS to to keep the headquarters operations in Manhattan? Well, when I was in charge, the decision was made clearly uh, for the people. You know, I decided that uh, the quality of employee that we wanted was exactly here, uh, someone that learned to balance their life and uh, could balance it between, you know, for me, it's faith, family, friends, and work. And, uh, you know, I wanted people that uh, cared about those things uh, because I think their heart made them better employees and not somebody that uh, was hop, skipping and jumping from job to job. And Manhattan's been great for us. It's been a great to have Kansas State University here. A lot of people would love to stay in town. And, and we have a lot of uh, uh, alumni uh, out of the university. 
and uh, it's the quality people we want. And and I'm I'm saying this as a compliment to to you all and to the company, but but there's no operational efficiencies in having the headquarters separate from everything else, and so that really is a conscious decision on your part. Probably the biggest negative is air travel. Uh, we have facilities everywhere, customers all over the United States. It's a little difficult from air travel standpoint. But but again, you you all have decided that the the qualities of Manhattan that you mentioned and the people. Uh, make the organization operate better. Yeah, there's, there's no better asset than people. Yeah. And so if you start there, the rest of it uh, becomes minor. Well, we appreciate you continuing to be here. Uh, on your website, uh, it says that improving the quality of life in communities where we operate is a high priority for SPS. Why is that philosophy important to the company? You know, it's duly important. It's not only important to, uh, for us, uh, you know, to give back. Uh, to the communities we serve in, but uh, for our employees. And it's, uh, you know, we keep employees here only because Manhattan's a great community, you know. We could be the, the greatest operation in the world, but if you didn't enjoy where you were living and your family wasn't happy, uh, you would leave. And uh, so those are important things for us to, to make sure that uh, we still have a community that draws employees. Uh, you know, our recruiting isn't just out of Kansas State University anymore. We recruit nationally, you know, at a, a young, or not young family, but a, a gentleman we were hiring in vice president's position coming out of Florida. And as you can imagine, he had a hard time selling to his wife coming from Tampa, Florida, uh, to Manhattan, Kansas, particularly because right prior to uh, uh, him visiting with us, she happened to have to go to the funeral in western Kansas, and she came back and said, there is no way I'm moving to Kansas. There wasn't a tree I saw, you know, and I assured him that was not Manhattan, Kansas, and we got him here, and uh, his wife fell in love with it, and uh, he did. So I always, I'm going to try to make sure I say this in a way that isn't too offensive, but one of the advantages we have, I think, as a community, as we're trying to sell companies and we're trying to sell people is the negative perception of Kansas is not what they experience when they get to Manhattan. And so we almost, we almost are the beneficiaries of low expectations. And, and because and, and, every time we have a client, every time, I mean, it, every time we have a client that's not been here, the number one thing we get at the end of it is, wow, that's more than we thought it was going to be. That was my experience when I was interviewing for the job in Manhattan. Because even though I grew up on the plains and lived in Oklahoma, Texas, and Nebraska, I'd never really been to Manhattan. I've been through it. Um, and when I got here, I'm like, wow, this this community is so. I always say this community is greater than Google says it is. But and, we got to get them here. I mean, but we have, but we have to get them here. And 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 companies like yours are the ones that that we can do that. And I assume you take that same philosophy to your other operations as well. That's Absolutely. not just a Manhattan philosophy. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, that. SPS has had three chairs of the chamber. Uh, why is it important to your company to be involved in the chamber? Jack set that pattern. Uh, you know, his involvement in the community and his love for Manhattan was easy to be contagious. I got started getting involved in outside activities. He he certainly got me involved in the chamber because he had a, a heart for the chamber and for Rotary and other uh, pieces. But uh, what I found is it's also a great training ground uh, for our employees, you know. If you think you have trouble managing your employees, go try to manage a lot of volunteers sometime. And uh, there's challenges to that. And there's challenges to keeping a budget and learning how to manage a budget and uh, learning how to hire the right people. And those are good training grounds. They're, they're good opportunities and not only an opportunity to give back to the community. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person that believes that uh, happiness comes from what you give others. 
much more than what you get. And, uh, and I think that follows through and is part of keeping happy employees and a great community. And of course, Matt Crocker was instrumental in me being here. He was chair when they did their search, uh, when Lyle announced his retirement. And looking back at your experience as chair and being part of the executive committee, are there any particular things that stand out as, as highlights of that time? Well, I, I probably had my highlight in my career uh, the year before I became chair. I was president in those years, but uh, and that's because I believed that we were too dependent on government money, both county and city, with our budget, and it uh, affected us in how we uh, often needed to do the right thing. So uh, I remember saying that we need to go raise money. I went to the to the board. I was vice chair at that time, or vice president, and went to the board, and I says, uh, uh, "Give me the authority to go raise a million dollars." And they said, "There's no way. There's no way you can raise a million dollars in this community. It's just impossible. Too much competition, particularly with Kansas State." I says, "Well, give me the authority, and we'll see." And I think they offered finally, after more debate. Uh, I think approved uh, 750000 They refused to approve the million. And I always look back with regret because I think we actually came in about uh, 930000 on the campaign and why I gave up and didn't do the last 70 just to prove them wrong. I don't yeah. know. But uh, that, that was my biggest challenge and, and really opportunity and, and uh, success. Well, yeah, and it's still an important part of our program today. It's called Advantage Manhattan, and we just finished our – fifth drive which are their five years apiece and and we got we're up to about three and a half million so thank you for your leadership in getting that started that's a huge huge accomplishment who was the director when you were was it lyle or was it oh i know who it was it was collintone dan collintone dan collintone okay um how do you think manhattan is progressing and and what should we do to be growing our community i worry about it uh you know i, I thought we uh, were too slow in recognizing the uh, downturn in retail you know we always i've always said uh, you know that manhattan was a three-legged stool that was being fort riley and kansas state university and retail uh, but uh, i think sometimes our leadership is too slow in recognizing things that i i today think that uh, is a problem when it comes to uh, working from home you know that's a double-edged sword uh, a disadvantage you know you look at some of our newest facilities that hardly have anybody working in them anymore because they're all working from home and how to manage that, how to manage that uh, uh, with the dollars we give and jobs created uh, when, yeah, they may have a created job, but that person may be living in Washington, D.C. or New York or Washington, uh, Oregon or somewhere out there. And, uh, you know, so I think, uh, you know, our jobs to bring those people that their companies are in uh, uh, Seattle and bring them here because they're tired of living in Seattle and want a, a lifestyle we have. So um, I just worry. But that's my nature is to always worry about uh, the problems at hand and, and how do we fix them? Well, that's my nature, too. So I, I am I, people will look at me. and go, Why are you worried about that? I, say, I worry about it all the time. That's, that's your job. It's, it is. It is my job. Not necessarily mine. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you worrying about it, too, though. Um, all right. So that's the end of the of the easy part. Now we go into the section of the program, which is our rapid fire questions, where we ask all of our guests to to answer 10 questions about themselves so we can get to know you a little better. So number one, describe your perfect day. My perfect day would be when I made a difference somewhere. Okay, that's a great answer. What do you want people to remember about you? That I care. 
We will, I promise. What job did you want as a kid? I wanted a job that paid enough money I could buy my own clothes. I was the youngest of four boys, and I always got hand-me-downs. You know, all my clothes were out of style by the time I got them, and I just wanted a job I could buy my own clothes. Yeah. My dad my dad has had that same – he didn't have hand-me-downs, but his family couldn't afford new clothes, and so he told me all the time part of the reason why he got jobs was so he could Absolutely. buy his own clothes. So, uh, well, speaking of that, what was your first job? Well, my first job was probably babysitting, you know, about 25 cents an hour. Um, my first real job was at a company called GEM. It stood for Governor's Government Employees Market, uh, forefront to Walmart. It was kind of creative idea. Walmart hadn't spread into the big cities, but it was one of those mass operations. You could go and you had sporting goods and shoes, clothes and hardware and everything, groceries all in one roof. Common today, but it wasn't at that time. And uh, started there as a stock boy, ended there as vice uh uh, assistant manager uh, of a department when I left high school. I know you've you've expressed you're not really a material person, but what is your most uh, valued possession? My family. What skill would you most like to learn? Love to be able to sing. I think a lot of us are like I, that. I, uh, I feel sorry for people around me because I do sing. I just don't sing well. I think the people in my office would tell you the same thing about me. <laughs> so they, they like to laugh about, they hear me sing down the hallways. To I them. tell people when, uh, you know, said, let's sing happy birthday. I said, well, my gift to you is I'm not going to sing. So <laughs> there you go. What is the one thing that instantly makes your day better? Helping somebody. So we talked a little bit about this, but do you prefer working remotely or in the office? In the office. I'm I'm with you on that. How do you deal with work stress? Uh, balance of life, you know. I make sure that uh, I don't carry work 24 hours a day, and then have other things in my life that, uh, you know. I tell people all the time, you know, your your iPhone's a wonderful tool until it runs out of batteries, and then it's worthless. And I feel the same way about human beings, and we have to find ways to regenerate and recharge ourselves. And I try to do that. That's good advice. Speaking of advice, what advice would you give the 19-year-old Dennis Mullen? Work hard and polish your social skills, how to deal with people. It's great advice. Dennis, thank you so much, not just for your leadership uh, with SPS, but with the chamber and in the community. And, and uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.